Welcome to Beyond the Screen, an Ionis podcast, where we share insights and tips to help you scale your business's online presence, hosting genuine conversations with the best in the web and IT industry, and exploring how the Ionis brand can help professionals and customers with their hosting and cloud issues. We're your hosts, Joe Nash and Liz Moy. Hi, and welcome to the Beyond the Screen podcast. I'm your host, Joe Nash, and today I'm joined by Uwe Erlenwein, Head of Data Center Construction at Ionos, to chat about how this vital piece of infrastructure that is the data center that drives our modern internet and arguably the world comes to be. Uwe, welcome. Welcome, too. Thank you for joining me. So... To kick us off, my first question as we get into this topic of building data centers and data center construction, how did you come to be the head of data center construction? What is the journey to building data centers for a living? Originally, I started as a project manager at Ionos. It was in 2009, I think. And yeah, the first thing I managed were network projects. So our core router infrastructure, for example, our switching systems and so on in the data center. And later they were searching for somebody who can support him to manage data center construction project. So my first data center I was managing the project was in 2011. It was a prototype for a new data center. And so I turned more and more in the topic of data center construction. And finally, last year, I changed my role from a project manager to now I'm leading a team of construction managers and engineers who are designing our data centers, taking care of the coordination of the construction process and so on. Right. Fascinating. Okay. That's quite the journey. So obviously the data centers are quite regularly such enormous facilities. How long does it take to build a data center? Like when does the project start and how long until it's up and running and serving customers? The project starts very early because you have first to search land or an existing building where you can fit in a data center. The whole construction process from starting the earthworks until handover and commissioning takes about, it depends on the size and scale of the data center, but it takes normally one and a half year to two years. But we also constructed in the past data center within 12 months, but it was a different design approach. So currently we are building more in a shell and core model. The data data center we built within 12 months was a data center which is based on containers. So you can do many tasks parallel. In this case, you can prepare the land or the basis infrastructure. And in parallel, you fit out the container somewhere in a factory. This makes it quicker and faster. That's really interesting. I've seen a lot of construction kind of being expedited by using containers, but interesting to hear that's also happening in data centers. So you mentioned there that the time frame varies depending on fitting the building in. What are some of the considerations that you're looking for where you're choosing like the data center site? What do you need to be aware of? At the very beginning, you look into risk. If there are any risks in the environment around, so you make a risk analysis of the environment around the site, then you're looking, is power available? Is fiber optic networks, are they available close to the site? Also, you have to consider data centers are making noise because you cool things. If you don't cool the servers inside, they will overheat. So it will cause some noise. And so you have also to your neighbors, if this would be a pain for them. And you have also to consider measures to mitigate noise and so on. It sounds really easy, but data center needs a lot of power and we have to integrate our data center into our network backbone and we need also enough fiber capacity available. 
Yeah. So you mentioned the network backbone there. Like I imagine for a whole data center, that is a large pipe. What kind of requirements are there on that? At the end, it's pretty easy. You can almost do a lot of bandwidth through one single fiber pair. At the end, these are small pipes, very small pipes. But of course, you need a backhaul network behind it. So you have to come to major locations. Like if it's in the US, you have to come to Washington, DC. You have to come to LA. And if it is in the UK, you have to come to London. Or if it is in Germany, you have to come to Frankfurt. And yeah, you have to check all these routes. And also you need diverse routes because uh, you need redundancy. If there is uh, excavation running, if the excavator cuts one of the fiber pairs, it shouldn't have any effect on the data center itself. So you have to look for diverse routes, which are going into a backhaul network or a bigger network. Yeah, building in for redundancy is very interesting. So one of the things we've heard about with other guests on this show is what Onus is doing around sustainability of its data centers. And you mentioned energy use. What kind of construction techniques or new technologies are you looking at as you build these data centers in order to drive towards sustainability? Yes, we have a big more roadmap available. There is mentioned what sustainability features are available at which time. And we're always looking into it. So, for example, in the future, it becomes more interesting to use carbon reduced or carbon neutral concrete, steel, and so on. But everything is depending on green hydrogen because at the end, you can produce only green steel or green concrete with hydrogen and the availability of green power is not so super at the moment. It's increasing every day, the availability of green power. But at the end, in Germany, for example, there's already one steel factory. They have a wind farm around it. They are producing green hydrogen to produce green steel at the end. But this is a future thing because it will take another five or 10 years until everywhere green steel will be available. Here is at the end, it's a journey to sustainability construction, but we have already started. We are placing everywhere a solar PV close to our data centers. We are using, for example, to run our generators, we are using HVO, which is oil, which is made from vegetables. And yeah, we are also compensating for our new data center. For example, we set the whole building envelope, the materials which are used for it, we set it all offset. All the carbon which was produced during the whole chain was at the end compensated with spending into green projects. Yeah, awesome. That makes a lot of sense. We've heard a bit of that from Ran, Head of Sustainability, in another episode as well. So we will link that down below for that conversation. So I guess moving on, so we've spoken a bit about what it takes to build these centers, what you look for. Obviously, you're the head of data center construction. How many people are working on data center construction at Ionis? At the end, we have a core team of 15 people. So they are coming from all disciplines. We have a design team, we have an architect, we have a structural engineer, we have a mechanical engineer, which is responsible for all the cooling parts and so on. We have an electrical engineer, we have operations experts, we have also network infrastructure experts. So all these come together for a project. They are not all in my team. I have more or less only construction mentioned and some engineers in my team, but for a data center construction, you need a bigger team. And finally, at the end, we are more or less only managing the construction process. We have third party partners. So we do the base design of the data center and we hand it over to a third party, which makes together with us a detailed design. And later we are also managing the construction process together with 
with, uh, with our partners that the right things coming at the right time and that they are available and everything comes together. Finally, we are also taking care of commissioning of the data center testing. Then more the operation experts come into the game and they support us with getting it commissioned and finally tested and getting it into production. Awesome. Okay. So lots of different specialties there. You mentioned third parties as well, lots of different bodies involved, lots of different teams. Obviously, with such a complicated project as a data center, I imagine things change in the middle of construction, new requirements are added or new things are discovered. With all those different stakeholders involved, how do you prioritize changes? How do you structure your teams to be successful in that environment if a change does arise? If anybody raises a change request, we assess it first and we also tell them the implications. So, for example, we need more time for it or we need more money for it. And at the end, yeah, we finally assess it, present it to the stakeholder back or to the higher management. And then they can make a decision if they want really to apply this change or maybe we don't do it at the end. Because in such a big project, minor changes are much more easy. In, in current times, you also work more agile and also in the construction. So lean construction is a big thing. So you can easier apply changes as you have done in the past. But at the end, any change has an implication. You have to assess it and somebody has to decide if it will be applied or not. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned that your team has some of the initial design. What are some of the, I guess, like design fundamentals, some of the principles that you're looking at? And what are the core challenges of designing a data center? Our core principle is make it simple because there are a lot of data centers in the world. They are very complex. Um, they had a lot of automatization in it and a lot of complexity, but somebody has later also to operate it. And if you have too many complex things, uh, nobody really understands it. A lot of human errors occur. So our core principle is keep it simple, make it easy. First, you start always with a complex design and then you try to make it more simple and so on and improve it. That makes sense. And you mentioned that obviously someone needs to maintain it. So humans operate in this space. And in many ways, the requirements of humans for a comfortable space are opposed to that of a computer and a, what a computer needs to optimize. So how do you make these buildings functional for both the machines that need to work in there, but also the humans that need to maintain them? The first priority has for us always health and safety. So we're making it also safe. There are many things not everybody is allowed to go in every space or, for example, in electrical spaces, only special experts are allowed to go inside. We also like to make our facility in the future more nice that our people like to work there. So we are currently working on many print design ideas for our data center so that you have nice pictures on the walls, that you, for example, see our business principles everywhere in the world so that people which are working in the space can identify with their company and also with our core values and also our customers which are coming to our facilities to visit it, to see it, that they feel well in the facility and also this is a cool thing uh, there's a lot of machinery inside it's very technical but at the end it's also a feel well atmosphere available these are things we are working currently with our brand team on how to make our facility much more nice in the future even they are very technical for example we just have made our own rack design so we have now blue racks in ionos blue with a logo in front of it so everybody who is going to a cold ice can 
see at first hand that he is now in Ayana's facility. And yeah, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. When the office is well decorated and feels like the brand and the space, like lots of people talk about various tech offices and the experience of visiting them. And it's, I imagine that visiting a data center must be a very sci-fi experience. So moving on, I guess a bit from the design and the construction process. Once the data center is built and it's operational, how do you tell that's been successful? What do you look for in a successful data center? <laughs> Nobody complains from our operation stuff about things, then you have done a perfect job. But at the end, you find every time anything which you can improve next time. But at the end, my customer is the operations team, the data center operations team. If they have nothing to claim, at the end, I have done a good job and my whole team has done a great job at the end. Also, if you get several awards, prizes, certifications, for example, for our last data center, we got a tier four certification. Who knows the Uptime Institute? If they are happy with your facility, you can say also this is a good thing <laughs> because that's really hard, such a certification. Interesting. So I've not heard of the Uptime Institute. So what are the Uptime Institute? I, I'm getting an impression that they are looking at the performance of data centers and awarding something. How does that system work? Yeah, this is an independent organization. It's coming from the US and there they built a framework about the performance and availability of data centers. They assess your data center against their guideline or standard. If you fulfill all the requirements, you can see how reliable your data center is at the end. Especially Uptime Institute is looking for availability of electricity or of energy and to cooling. Very interesting. Okay, so you mentioned that this latest data center you built got a tier four. How many tiers are there? Is that near the top? Yes, the best of the best, because there are four levels or four tiers at the end, which starting at tier one, which has only base capacity or no real redundancy, then it's coming tier two, and then you have base redundancy, all the capacity components are redundant, you can say in average, it has an availability of 99.74 or something like this percent in average availability. And yeah, then it's coming tier three. This means concurrently maintainable. So without interruption, you can maintain everything in the data center. And finally, there is tier four. It means all the fault tolerance. Whenever there's a fault somewhere in a component, somewhere in the supply path, you need to respond to it automatically. And your data center should not have any downtime if something fails. And then you are looking to availability of about 99.5% at the end. It means all the continuous cooling. You are not allowed to increase the temperature in a cold ice more than five degrees within a certain time. You need unlimited runtime of your generators at site. Yeah, that's a lot. So between the redundancy and the cooling concerns, obviously these tier awards aren't just, you build a data center and one accidentally happens, right? They're obviously something you're designing for. So is there a decision process when a new data center is being designed or built that someone says, we want this to be a tier four, we want this to be a tier three? Is that how that plays out? To tell you the truth, at our last data center, the original design intent was tier three. And then we had a workshop with the Uptime Institute and they said to us, your design is pretty close to tier four. If you do some little upgrades, it will be tier four. And we went back to our higher management. Oh, we have to do little upgrades. It will cost this and this. And they said, oh, cool. For this price, we will do tier four because our 
design was pretty simple and smart. Um, normally, you say tier four is very expensive because you have to automate a lot of things. It's getting very complex. You need a lot of redundancies. And our design was very simple and smart. At the end, we finally decided to go not for tier three. But we go for tier four, the best of the best. Normally, only finance institute or banks and important public authorities take the journey to tier four because normally you say it's very expensive, but our design was very clever and the Uptime Institute was impressed as well that you can build with such simple tier four data center. It fulfills all the requirements of tier four, <laughs> but is pretty simple to design. Yeah, fascinating. So the primary driver of a company choosing what tier they're going to go for is the cost. Yes, cost and a risk analysis. So if you are a finance institute, your data is very important. So if you lose data, at some point, not only 100,000 customers are affected, millions of customers are affected. Also in our case, because we are a web hosting cloud service provider, many customers will have impact if we have a problem in our base infrastructure, because the base of the service is the data center at the end. This is the basis infrastructure. And then it comes to the IT and finally to the software. And if the base infrastructure does not work well, you have a problem at the end because all the IT components can fail, all the software can fail. So your base infrastructure has to be very reliable. But normally you say tier four is too costly or too expensive. Pretty normal is that everybody is going to tier three. But we made it working with a very simple design and not so much more cost to make tier four working. Fascinating. Okay. I guess a lot of listeners' interaction with cloud and, you know, a lot of my interaction with cloud has been kind of on the commodity side, right? Like I go for an online portal and I get access to the servers that I need and, you know, it's all automated, it's all for an API. And so the tier system is really fascinating to me in that because if I'm representing a financial institution, that's not necessarily exposed to me at that commodity front, right? Maybe you're thinking about availability zones or so that you can distribute your, your IT resources. So we have a very modular approach. For example, our latest data center is built in more than one. It's not one data center. It are two independent data center in one. So the infrastructure of module one is completely independent from the infrastructure of module two. So if you lose one of the modules, the second module is still running all the time. But as I said, we have built T4, so it's very unlikely that it happens that we lose the whole module and it's also very unlikely that there is a fire <laughs> because we mitigate everything to have a fire on site but at the end you're looking to in availability zones when you do cloud and also in regions and you distribute your services over regions you distribute it over availability zones and we support this with our data center design so we can also make in one data center more than one availability zone because we built in a modular approach and make the models independent from each other. So if the whole model fails, we still have another model which is still running and you can decide in your cloud planner or in your cloud panel to which availability you like to have your IT resources deployed. At the end, the customer can also decide by his own how distributed and how redundant he wants to have his setup. Perfect. That makes total sense. So I guess we've kind of spoken a lot about the present on the data centers and you know, we've spoken a little bit about looking forward to the future in terms of sustainability, but going into the data center of tomorrow and what you're thinking about in the future, what's kind of top of mind for you in terms of advances that you're looking forward to for your work? 
make it more sustainable. So at the end, this is the journey we have currently to go. If you're looking to the press, everybody wants to go digital. Everybody wants to use his smartphone. Everybody wants to use an app, but everything is depending on data centers. So digitalization for every each and every app, you need at the end a data center where your data is stored, where something is calculated in the back end and so on. And people are coming now and say data centers are evil because they are consuming a lot of energy, they are producing waste heat and so on. So we have to look now how to make this all more sustainability. So the next big thing, which you can read everywhere, is making our waste heat available for the energy revolution. So energy is getting more expensive every time and we have waste heat for free. We just blow it currently in the atmosphere. But it depends also that we can get more sustainable, that the governments are supporting us with it to make heat networks available or district heat networks available everywhere where we can just supply our waste heat to heat homes, heat buildings, heat swimming pools and so on. It's a waste product. Heat is a waste product in our data centers. And I don't know if you know it, we are sourcing pure green energy at IONOS, but we'd like to produce our own energy as well. So we're looking everywhere if we can construct a PV installation on our building, on close to our building, because in the grid, you're losing all the energy because it has to be transformed and so on. And if you produce it directly at your site, you don't lose so much energy. And of course, we have also to look into more sustainable concrete, steel, and latest data center, which we have built. We have also bee hotels on site, insect hotels on site. We have green roofs and also to do something for the nature because data centers are not evil at the end, but we can do better. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So there's a couple of things you said there that I want to go back to. So first of all, I was laughing about the swimming pools because I think we were discussing in another episode that someone recently put a data center at the bottom of a swimming pool to heat it, which was very cool. So I like that idea of the heat usage. You mentioned there the concrete and the steel. And so obviously one of the things that's occurred over the last couple of years and has been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic has been, you know, supply chain issues. And in concept with sustainability, I imagine that's changing the way you're thinking about the construction materials a lot. How have the availability of materials impacted these huge projects for you? It has a big impact at the end. The latest construction project took about five months more than we originally planned because we didn't get the equipment on site. So when we ordered it, everything was available and everybody was telling us you will get it in three or four months. But it ends, it turned out that it sometimes took eight months and so on. This has changed the whole industry. In former times, you purchased equipment just in time. And now people are starting to store equipment, even if they don't really require it yet, but they have some project in mind. They start ordering, put it into stock or somewhere store it and later use it, even if they don't even know if they really require it. You see it, many data center companies are doing this now. Early order equipment that they have it in time. There's something which has totally changed with this, all the supply chain crisis. That makes total sense. I guess, yeah, I asked that in terms of, you know, like construction materials, but the worldwide chip shortage has probably had a bigger impact. On the infrastructure component, because in a chiller, you have all the chips inside there. And also even fans in the, such a cooling equipment have chips nowadays inside. This was a big problem to get cooling equipment available because they're using a lot of chips and the chips were not available. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, we are coming up on time. So I guess to wrap us up, if you could change just one thing, anything at all about data center construction, you have absolute dream build out. What would you change? 
my dream is to have a carbon negative data center up and running. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Uwe. Thank you, Joe. Beyond the Screen, an IONIS podcast. To find out more about IONIS and how we're the go-to source for cutting-edge solutions in web development, visit IONIS.com and then make sure to search for IONIS in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at IONIS, thanks for listening.